Tripping with Trip. All right, we are live. Hi, my name is Trip, and I am, you are, we are tripping with Jamie Idea. Um, she, Jamie is a multimedia artist, teacher, um, professor of visual narrative in the SUNY University system, which stands for City University of New York. Jamie's work explores the dreamscapes and the line between imagination and concrete world building, which I can't wait to talk about. Her projects are social, uh, experimental, involving play, which I think we need more of, utopian fantasy, uh, personal iconography, and she works in a variety of disciplines, including filmmaking, performance, sculpture, uh, educational platforms that democratize learning, such as free schools. Welcome, Jamie. Jamie Idea, a.k.a. Igleheart. Is that how you pronounce it? Excellent. Yes. So if people okay. want to search you, it's Jamie Igleheart. Mm -hmm. Great. Welcome. So Thank excited you for to having have me, you Trip. here. Yay. Great to be here. All right. And we met briefly in, was it 2017 through Habitable Spaces? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. And you will hopefully be returning uh, for fall harvest this year, which is 2021, right? Yes. Very exciting. Yes. Yes. All right. Um, well, to start, why don't you tell us about your history and background, background that brought you to Habitable Spaces in 2017 when we met and your relationship with the farm? Right. Um, yeah, so I met um, Shane and Allison in 2010 uh, at, through Flux Factory in Queens, New York, which is a collective. Uh-oh. Are we dropping out? Do we get cut off? I'm good. Are you? There we go. Okay. Yeah, we're good. All right. Um, right. I met Shane and Allison in 2010 through an art collective in Queens, New York called Flux Factory, which is a very experimental, um, very collaborative kind of hub of creative individuals. Um, and that space is has been very influential in my life because it's um, a very playful, very kind and like nurturing community. Um, and when I met Shane and Allison, they were already talking about this idea to um, go start a, an art farm where people could come and live off grid and grow food and have um, like growing food be a part of like integrated with art making. Um, huh. And so I think like they they were very much on the pa on the page of um, seeing creating community as as a medium. And mm -hmm. um, I really resonated with that and just loved them. And as soon as I had the opportunity to come, I came. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, and we should talk a little bit about, uh, well, you've just done so much. Your CV is just so impressive and you've been doing it around the world. It's it's amazing. Um, what, what was the, uh, um, what was your childhood like that got you to where to, to where you are doing what you're doing. Do, do, did it come, do you have parents who, who were artists or how did you get so creative and so prolific? You're very productive. <laughs> it's funny because I feel like I'm not productive enough and there's so much I still need to do. But um, yeah, my parents, my mom's a painter and my dad was a filmmaker um, ah, okay. before he got into um, like 
working in the computer realm, like startup era. Oh, he um, did. So he went digital. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now he works with like information technology, but um, I'm an only child. So I spend a lot of time kind of in a dream world. Um, so yeah, most of my uh, free time was like through structured creative activities. Hmm. Yeah. And but my just, parents, mm-hmm. go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say um, that my, my parents were hippies, which is why I'm interested in utopia. Okay. All right. So that's where that ties in. Um, where did you grow up? New York? I grew up in Boston. In Boston. Okay. Yeah. Which is where you are now. Which is where From I am Boston now. From Boston to Austin. Right. <laughs> um, and when you said, uh, that when you mentioned the word, the word dreamed a lot, um, I know it's the word dreamscape, which I'm very, very much into. Um, and we had discussions before and you said that you had read a lot of Jungian dream interpretation literature Mm -hmm. um how does that tie into being an only child does it just keep you entertained or oh you mean like uh daydreaming yeah daydreaming and stuff i'm a huge daydreamer yeah i think daydreaming was just a part of like making sense of the world or like thinking Mm. you know planning what my future would be like um and i think uh, as far as studying young or Reading, I've never studied him formally, but like reading Jung and applying his work to my life, um, there's like a dual track for me, which is daydreaming, which is what ties into like utopia and thinking about uh, worlds that I want to be in. That's the daydreaming part. And then there's a subconscious dream. So they kind of, uh, I try to find ways to make them meet in a way. Right. Interesting. Um, judging by your CV, uh, as we said, you are an incredibly prolific and truly multimedia artist who covers a broad range of subjects. Um, is there a theme throughout your work that, that, that weaves it together or is each piece or phase of your life, does it represent separate unrelated ideas or do you currently have like a mission statement or... Um, has it evolved through the years? How, how's, how's your history been? Yeah, so I didn't really identify as an artist until like my mid-20s. Um, I started out as a filmmaker and then I got into doing production design and, and set decoration. And that's when oh, I that's realized cool. I was like, oh, maybe I'm like interested in multimedia art. And then through Flux Factory, Flux Factory is kind of an incubator for artists. I knew I wanted to be part of a collective and through flux, I kind of realized that maybe like social practice is something that I might want to work through. So to answer your question, the through line is sort of um, self-discovery, I would say. So like all of my projects are experiments and I learn about myself through those experiments. Um, And then the other through line is again, like dreams. So, um, working through subconscious material, again, as a form of self-discovery, and then working through the conscious dream. So working with others through the utopia school, through social practice, to articulate our collective dreams. Right. Interesting. So kind of um, visualizing and then manifesting type thing? Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah? Yeah. Right. Um, and you, you've done so much with Flux Factor, your first stop along the artistic residency. Um, yeah. 
Um, and I, I came to Flux Factory not out of an interest for an artist residency, but because I had been interested in um, squatting cultures and in um, collective living, or not living, uh, collective um, like organizing, right? So, and mm -hmm. I saw Flux Factory as this incredibly vibrant um, space that seemed to be connected to the squatting lineage. Um, uh huh. Okay. And that's what drew me there. Was okay. not, yeah. And Flux Factory, we should tell the audience, I, I, I visited uh, you guys a couple of times. Um, it's a, it's an artist residency in the Bronx, right? It's in Queens. It's in, in Queens. Long Island City, yeah. Okay, and how does that tie into the squatting culture? It is kind of in a warehousey type district, right. right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's Flux Factory was never a squat. And by squatting, I mean... Um, uh, Squatting, I, I would define as um, occupying a space that is not in use in order to um, uh, create something that it can be communally used, right? And so um, for Flux Factory, Flux, Flux has become what I would call like a social center. And okay. many squats are social centers. And a social center is a place where people can come, not have to spend a lot of money, or any money and they can like get fed, meet new people, exchange ideas. Um, and so social centers are kind of an invention of the squatting world, the squatting culture, squatting history. And okay. so I was drawn to Flux because it is a social center. It's a place where, you know, there's free programming, there's um, oftentimes food, free food. Uh, there's a lot of like opportunity to share resources and it's a DIY community. So they're a space that um, can often make something with very little resources, um, often using recycled materials, like turning trash into treasure, that kind of thing. Um, so that's what drew me there is this spirit of like, many hands make light work, working together, eating together, and like bringing in many different people into uh, a cozy space. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of like a, an exchange of ideas or I've heard the word Skillshare used like mm -hmm. for your utopia yeah. school, which we'll talk about. Interesting. Okay. And what drew you to that? Were, was that something in your, your parents hippie background or um, like communal living? What, what would they usually call it? Um, what's the hippie word for it? Like a commune type thing or. Yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up, with um, sort of, yeah, my parents were involved in the natural health uh, movement, uh, or sorry, natural foods movement. And there was a lot of, we were commune adjacent. <laughs> like, okay. I went to an experimental school, like a lot of stuff, but- um, Wow, lucky I you. I think that, uh, yeah, I don't know why I, I've been so drawn to collective living. I think I, think I just saw a way out of capitalism or like yeah. I wanted to see a way out of capitalism through collective living. And um, I think that the they, social centers in particular are spaces which really go against the grain of consumerism. They go against really? the grain of individual individualism. You know, uh -huh. these are spaces where we're thinking about um, the common good. We're thinking about like, how can we maximize the fewest amount of resources for everyone? Right. Um, yeah, love it. And 
also it's free culture, which is something that I'm really interested in. It's like, what makes people volunteer? Like, what's the urge that makes people, for example, like write Wikipedia for free or like um, maintain these open source um, like structures or resources? And that's, yeah. So I think that like social centers are for me, Flux being an example, are, are um, really indicative of this like human instinct to just like provide for each other. And mm. which tends to, it seems to go against the, uh, the whole capitalist um, idea, right? Or is it, um, I was just discussing this with a, a couple of interviews ago, I'm trying to figure out. Um, so, so the person I was talking to said that um, the greed, the envy, the ego, the individualism um, isn't necessarily human nature but kind of bred into us through, through capitalism, right? And um, go ahead. No, what were you going to say? Yeah. And so we were talking about the alternatives. What would the alternatives be? We were talking about, you know, communism, which some people call, uh, you know, um, capitalism in disguise. We've got socialism, Marxism. Um, through all of your utopian training and Skillshare exchange, what what have you come up with as an alternative? Because a lot of people are seeking that right now. They'd see they see a lot of sickness. I mean, of course, you bring in human nature, and it's going to be it's difficult to 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 make anything work. You know, with the diversity and yeah. in, in human behavior. But what what do you say? What would you? How would you? progress and improve on the system that we've got. Another question we had too is how would you transition from where we are to where you see we should be? For me, um, that's the transitioning from present to future. That that to me is just seems like an overwhelming task. Yeah, it is. I mean, like, it's such a huge, I mean, we, <laughs> it's like we're fish in swimming in capitalism, right? And we're asking like how to get out. I think mm -hmm. it's it's overwhelming and it's a huge, huge question. And I think that, I guess I kind of see the world as a, um, how do I put it? Like <laughs> every localized place has its own distinct set of circumstances and um, possibilities and lack of possibility, you know, uh, obstacles, I guess would be the better word for it. And so I don't think there is, I also don't believe in like a human nature. I think that, hmm. but that's another topic. But I yeah, would say that cool. like, um, I would say that for every place it's different, but that the most important part of the change that I've observed or like the places that have inspired me or, the um, social centers that have inspired me is just really localize, localizing and um, assessing need in one's neighborhood um, mm. and assessing like very much being present with what's happening uh, in one's immediate environment, particularly being connected to one's food source um, is like, that's a super, super radical act just to um, even like be in charge of your food source. Um, to know to know your neighbors and to be in touch with their needs, um, and also to um, and we talked about this yesterday to um, 
be able to communicate with one another and to like work Big through time. Di- work through yeah. differences and work through conflict. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I really liked our brief discussion yesterday. I really liked what we talked about in that. Um, I think the foundation of everything would be to figure out how to communicate because the ability for civil discourse has been taken away, mainly by the media that we're consuming in the way that we're, you know, the new digital realm, which is is not that old, um, has us, you know, knocking each other's heads and disagreeing with each other. And I really like what you, uh, t- maybe we should talk about uh, just the foundation of how we communicate, kind of starting there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so for people who don't know my work, um, m- much of my work is based around um, kind of studying and, and exploring and traveling and visiting um, social lots. centers and um, trying to find ways to share the lessons that different social centers or community uh, spaces have learned, finding a way to like document and share that knowledge. Um, and so something that, and again, like I don't, I'm not trying to position myself as an expert or to speak for any of these spaces. Um, I've been a visitor in a lot of spaces and I only share my perspective on what I've observed. So I'm not trying to speak for any, any space. I just want to preface that. But something that I've learned from observing many of these spaces is um, a friend actually asked me a couple days ago, like, if you could condense, like, the best practices for um, communicating and for, like, longevity in a community space, what would they be? And the three guidelines I came away with was, um, wait, I wrote them down, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Was first to oh yeah to make sure that in if you're if you're creating a collective or some kind of like group organization to build change into the structure of that organization, so to make it so that the power is always shifting like the center of power. Um, okay. And um, to uh, also to change people to like make it so that people take breaks and change out because people get burnt out and they mm-hmm. need to like step away and we need like fresh. Uh, fresh energy and fresh perspectives always to make Mm. a resilient community, in my opinion. Number two is um, coming into a community um, with having faith in one another and one one another's intentions to assume that the people you're engaging with have the best intentions and to treat them as such. That is huge. So that takes trust. A lot of conflict. Yeah, and that trust. takes trust, which is it's just this big thing. And it's really difficult these days with all the propaganda we have that's designed to pull us apart and keep us se- separate and create mistrust. That's a really big one there. Yes, exactly. Interesting. And then the third one I would say is, um, this one is really hard, I think, but um, is to come into a space understanding that you might be wrong and to be committed to changing yourself through uh, the interactions that you have, right? To like, Mm. to, and and what I mean by being willing to be wrong is to really like be sensitive to how others um, experience you in that space. 
to to be open to um, to learning about yourself and changing. Okay. Well, that's kind of difficult because that's when the human ego comes in, and the yeah. you know the need to always be right, and the you know the sometimes the macho need to be the dominant, you know. So that's interesting. I really like those guidelines for sure. Well, living living a nomadic lifestyle, which I uh, looking at your CV, I, my chin is just on the ground. I can't believe everywhere you've lived. You've lived everywhere from Finland to Copenhagen to Ukraine and Berlin to NYC and the very exotic country of Texas. <laughs> I visited um, these places. I didn't visit all of them. Yeah. Okay. You've yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you've done residencies, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what have some of your favorite residencies been? I mean, what have you gathered from all from your just your multitude of experience in all these different places? Is each different place is completely different than the rest? Is there a commonality with all the with with the human? race in general i'm just so curious to know um how how it's been is it is it really different from place to place or are there you know consistencies with all of them how has it been what what is your journey been like to all these different places sounds amazing it's been um a complete dream it's been like the dream of my life to be able to go to um to see different places and experience different communities. And I think the thing for me is that I just wish I could stay forever in all of them. And like, I wish that we all had, um, like, I guess parallel universes is now like a legit scientific theory (laughs) that like Uh, we actually exist in, well, I guess in terms of like quantum physics, there's this idea that we're all living infinite lives at the same time. And mm. that um, we can like switch through. I mean, I'm not, not sure how much of what I'm relating pop science or, but um, or did I fall apart? Oh, you're out of sync. Oh, huh? there we go. There we go. Are you back? Oh, great. I think so, I'm back. I think I'm back. Um, yeah, the audience should know. Um, this is my first time to do an audio video live stream, which will also be simultaneously. Uh, turned into a podcast speaking of parallel universes <laughs> <laughs> thank you for yeah. helping me out with this appreciate it yeah but, i guess i just think that everyone should have the opportunity to have like five lives at the same time yeah well <laughs> you've led all these different lives it's amazing do you have any favorite places um like a favorite you want to go back to yeah um someplace i'm really uh dreaming of going back to is ukraine Um, and I was really blessed to have the opportunity to go there in summer of 2019, um, with a Fluxer. I was invited by Fluxer Anton Lepov, um, and a wonderful collective in Donbass, which is in the Eastern part of Ukraine on the border with Russia, which has currently been in the news because Russia, Russia annexed, um, Crimea and there's been conflict there. Um, but this, but um, Donbass is beautiful. And, yeah. Um, so what, what, what kind of drew, drew to it and make it, made it a favorite destination? Was it the natural beauty, the people, the culture, the food, the music, how, the art, what, the residency itself? 
It was the people, um, the the collective that um, I collaborated with, with Kayla Lockwood as well from Flex Factory, um, Tumblr. Uh, they are just, they were some of the most passionate, creative um, forces of nature I've ever met. It, yeah. That's amazing. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it sounds like, you know, speaking of propaganda, that people on both sides of the border um, are basically the same and they have all the same priorities in life. But the, but there there have been forces in the media that are trying to turn them against each other and pull them apart, right. um, which has been an interesting part of that whole thing going on. Hmm. Um, that's amazing. Well, uh, speaking of Flux Factory, which keeps coming up, uh, you did what? You did a, a, a project there that was uh, uh, you turned an abandoned store into kind of a, a I wouldn't say a fake bodega, but it was more like. And I didn't know that you had had film uh, art and stage design your background, so it makes more sense. But you basically turned it into uh, a, like a, a movie set type uh, installation piece, right? Mm -hmm. What was that like? What, what what was the intent behind it, and what did the um, the person who experiencing it? What was the experience like? Um, yeah, so I'm not the first or the last artist to create a store, an interactive store. Um, my bodega and bodega is a New York term for corner store. Oh, thank you um, for that. Yeah, and um, I. I was really um, wanting to create a, a space. Well, first of all, it came from a dream, um, but I, I was wanting to create a space where, um, because I, ha I was feeling a lot of anger about um, the war in Iraq, uh, the um, just like US imperialism, uh, the war in Afghanistan. Um, what year was this? This was 2009. Okay. I think or 2010, mm -hmm. but just like thinking about US imperialism, seeing drone strikes happening, um, thinking a lot about climate change, um, yeah. feeling like pretty deeply depressed and yeah. upset and angry with the world. And so I wanted to create a store that was both um, like angrily reflecting upon these things and also providing solutions for them. So all of the items in the store are kind of a commentary on um, the kind of apocalyptic nature of the United States. And so mm -hmm. um, when you walk into the store, every single item in the store is handmade by myself or wow. a collaborator. I worked with a couple of other people to make, I invited a couple other people to make uh, items for the store and so you can take money from from the atm the atm's just like spilling out money in their dream dollars and you can, dream dollars <laughs> you can oh. take a, a dream dollar and buy anything in the store um so people could walk out with um whatever they wanted and so we had um occupied betty and veronica because this was also um actually it must have been 2011 because it was after occupy wall street so oh, okay. comic books that were uh, occupied with my own uh, revolutionary text or whatever. Um, cool. Yeah. And this was in the Bronx? No, Queens. I mean, Queens. Yeah. Yeah, Long Island City. Amazing. Um, 
but yeah, it was just a, a fun, it was fun to see what people wanted because the items were very ridiculous. Um, yeah, diamonds for breakfast cereal, for example. <laughs> and that's good. That's good. Oh wow! I I I I would have loved to have experienced that. I hope you could. It was a very Texas. art school type of project. <laughs> oh, it was. I, yeah. I mean, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't study visual art, but huh. it was a very uh, naive and fun experiment. I think. Yeah, and timely. Um, well, I've been dying to ask you. My experience is uh, in media. I I studied film television, radio back in the day, and wow, has media changed over the years. And I noticed that that's one of the things that you uh, teach is, um, what is it, media, the history of media, is it? It's called Media Design in the Digital Age, and I did not name this class. <laughs> it and was, you did not what? I did not name the class. Name the class, okay. What is it, what does it cover? Yeah, so um, Media Design in the Digital Age, um, is a class that I inherited from another teacher. And then I kind of retooled the curriculum. And okay. so the curriculum is uh, basically looking, it actually starts before digital media. It starts um, with the invention of film, but it looks at the ways in which um, people have invented and innovated and created um, new technology and how in the beginning stages of, of these new technologies, um, there's been a lot of access and freedom and experimentation, but how corporations and corporate interests co-opt these new technologies and kind of squeeze the, um, close down the, the field of, of uh, like diversity of voices basically. Mm. So we're looking at like, you know, when radio was first invented, like anyone could have a radio station. So when you turned on the radio station, it was kind of like the early internet, right? And then mm -hmm. yeah. the stations all got bought up and then it's a very, very few voices coming through. So working with students to look at this trend of, of um, yeah, throughout history, how corporate media co-ops technology and also looking at the subversions and the way the cracks uh, in, uh, in that corporate domination, like how, how um, we can get our voices through. I hope that makes sense. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like a lot like what we're doing right now, you know, with the podcasting and everything. Mm -hmm. It's definitely the wild, wild west right now. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm sure the commercial money is going to move in at some point and possibly change things, you know. Yeah. That's one of the things that I've been uh, talking about with this podcast is, you know, to um, – to commercialize or not to commercialize, to keep it, you know, nonprofit as long as possible. But one thing that keeps ringing through my head is the saying, never piss off the advertisers. You know, <laughs> if you're sponsored by oil and gas or cars or things that are destroying the environment, you know, once you're sponsored by them, um, for me, it seems like you're not going to be able to talk ill about them, you know? Right. So it just kind of like, Stifle, st stifles um, the idea exchange, I guess. That's sure. interesting. Huh. Well, um, you started out doing filmmaking at Columbia School, right? I noticed. Mm -hmm. So you went to Columbia in, uh, in Manhattan. 
Um, what was your, what was some of your early film projects about? Yeah. Um, so at that time I was, I had started working with, um, I, okay. So I keep a dream journal, a very, a daily dream journal. And so my process in making narrative films is taking these dreams. Um, am I broken up or it's good? I can hear you. Okay. Yeah, so um, I take dreams, organize them into theme, and then edit them into a narrative structure. So, um, so yeah. you kind of weave separate dreams together into a narrative. Yes, yes, oh, because okay. over a period of months, the dreams will be will have similar themes and characters. So mm -hmm. I can kind of like find a narrative arc over a period of months and just like cut out certain elements until it sort of fits together. So cool. I was making some films. I made a two films based off that, and I loved it. Uh, and I would like to make more. But in the process, in the middle of this, I like joined Flux Factory and got interested in social sculpture, and I got interested in collectives and like understanding um, anarcho-communism and like how people are um, organizing together. So I kind of got sidetracked from from making uh narrative films but i'm writing a new one so nice i'll be able to return to that i hope okay. that answered your question yeah yeah great it sounds kind of uh, a little stream of consciousness um but you can take disparate parts to and and weave them together and create a whole from from yeah that. it's that um it's like pseudo narrative and I think, uh, yeah, it's like experimental narrative, I would say. Interesting. Um, and you, uh, you've read a few things on Jungian dream analysis. I'm so interested in all of this. What, what are some of the, um, the key points that you've come up with, with on, on, on all of your dream work and the Jungian analysis and stuff like that? Yeah. So um, I think what Carl Jung helped me understand and, and what I think like is reflected in my work as well is this idea of individuation, right? So individuation is the idea that each person um, has like uh, a blossoming to undergo in their lifetime to become more fully themselves. And that dreams are the key to um, helping us to blossom into our true self. And so it's through understanding symbols, right? And in what Jung calls the collective unconscious, which is a, an unconscious realm that all humans share. And it, the collective, I'm hoping I'm butchering <laughs> Jung right now, but like the collective unconscious is filled with symbols that all humans have a connection to through thousands and thousands of years of mythology and through like human DNA even. Mm -hmm. And so if we understand, and he also argues that only we can truly interpret our own dreams because we have a specific relationship to these symbols. Mm -hmm. So through understanding our, what our dreams are trying to tell us, we can follow their advice because they actually are giving us, they're, they're guiding us. So if we follow their advice, they help us blossom, right? Mm -hmm. And so okay. um, I think this idea yeah. of unfolding is like very much a part of what I want to explore. Okay, that's yeah. amazing. Um, Let's see here. Part of the work, uh, 
Uh, I was told by uh, the directors of Habitable Spaces that um, some of your work touches on spirituality and awareness. Mm. Is that um, is that true? And if so, I don't know. Not, not really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it directly touches on spirituality and awareness. I would say that. Um, I would say that um, it touches on transformation, and like I would hope that. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. Um, so tell me about uh, the utopian schools that you do. I, I've noticed you've done them in NYC, Copenhagen. Did you do something uh, with at Habitable Spaces Not along yet. those lines, or you haven't Not done yet. it yet? Okay. Yeah. How did that? How did you conceptualize it, and how has it gone? And what have some of the results been? And are you going to keep doing it? Yeah. So the Utopia School um, is a free school where anyone can teach and anyone can learn. And it's mm -hmm. purposefully like a very open concept, right? So almost everyone has like an opinion about Utopia or the concept of Utopia. So the idea is to use this word Utopia. You know, I think we should talk about yeah. the concept of Utopia for those who don't know what we're talking about. Sure. How would you define Utopia before well, we, we keep talking about these utopian schools. Um, so utopia um, is specifically from uh, a book by Thomas Thomas More called Utopia, which is, okay. um, it's a place, right? Which is supposed to be an ideal place. Um, but a lot of people have different ideas about what the word utopia means. So some people might say utopian is um, the, the perfect ideal place to live. Some people might say utopia is impossible because it literally means no place, right? So people might say that it's um, it's impossible. It's an ideal. The impossible it's, dream. It's foolish. Type yeah, it's yeah. foolish. It's problematic, right? Mm. And there are a lot of, as we examine in the utopia school, part of what we look at is like the history of utopian experiments, right? So, for example, we had a class on 19th century utopian socialism, which is there was a movement in the 19th century where people moved to the United States as colonizers um, and created these, like, communes, basically. And a lot of them were really messed up. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of play projects that use the word utopia are highly problematic, right? So yeah. part of the school is to identify, like, well, what makes these projects problematic and is the like quest for a better world inherently problematic or like what tools do we want to use and what do we have to offer each other that's like in this direction of a better reality. And I'm kind of rambling here, but- um, No, ramble on. The, the it's school... a talk show. <laughs> Someone said that the other day. <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah, but, keep rambling. Yeah, the school like is, it's meant to problematize itself in a way. Like it's not meant to be a perfect project. It's meant to um, bring up the places where we disagree and like explore the edges between different social milieus and different um, social approaches, right? Because yeah. there's so many people trying to um, like trying to make the world better, and we all have different ways of, and ideas of approaching it. So. The school, because the word utopia is something that everyone has an opinion on um, or can have an opinion on, 
uh, it brings together a lot of people to kind of work through what that might be. Okay. So I've heard it uh, described as, so I guess basically, and you don't, in, in your opinion is that there is no one universal human nature. So it sounds like the word utopia, especially in a communal human environment would be a constantly changing. It sounds like it would be constantly frustrating. Like, have you ever had any success stories? I just can't, for me, like even if everyone did agree with one way of living and let's all adhere to this, um, just human nature is just so all over the place, like different DNAs from different places. It's like, how, how would you define success in that? In a, in a utopia, like I guess, mm-hmm. like uh, har- har- harmonious living where no one's fighting and everyone's working toward the same ideal type thing, or um, like have really you had question. success stories? Or are you still kind of developing what, how how you would define utopia in a communal environment with humans living amongst and with each other? So are you asking if I've ever seen a space that I felt approached utopia or um, yeah, are you asking about the school specifically? Um, well, uh, what have you learned from the school? Have you, um, like, how would you define a utopian success story? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, <laughs> like what are I mean, some of the lessons that you've learned from these schools that you've been sponsoring right okay so to give a little more background about the school um the structure of the school is that people there's like a core group of organizers come together for about a month and they run a social center that is a public learning space and the people who are running the school live together um, in the school and we run a people's kitchen where we're feeding people and we've got like five plus classes a day and the calendar is on the wall. And it's designed in such a way that people walk into school and become a part of it. If they really feel connected, they can live there if they want to. They can cook, they can volunteer, they can propose a class so it's incredibly open. But to, I'm winding my way towards the answer to your question. So like what I've seen working it's like I, I've seen a lot of tools that like specifically I think are helpful and, mm-hmm. and useful. Um, and, but I don't like in all of the utopian, what I would describe, these places might not self-describe as utopian, but in the spaces that I've been to that have been going against the grain of capitalism that have been like, creating open space where we can like not have to pursue profit (laughs) like with all of our time. Right. That's Mm -hmm. like my definition of a utopian space. Right. Mm -hmm. In in all of these spaces, it's like, there's total, there's conflict. Like, yeah, it's part of the human, you know, animal, you know? Yeah. Um, And so I think that like, there are specific tools that I find helpful. And I, I mean, for example, um, a really active and um, 
positive person in my life, uh, Gil Lopez, who works at Smiling Hogshead Ranch in Queens, has been very- Smiling Hogside Ranch? Hog, Smiling Hogshead Ranch. Smiling Hogs, it's, okay. It's a farm that's, that's nearby Flux Factory and they um, are very generous um, with their space. And um, anyway, so Gil, uh, who's a friend of mine, does this uh, recurring uh, workshop called Transparency Tools, which is a very kind of touchy-feely sort of get together where um, people in the collective like share their perspective and share their feelings about things and share things that they haven't said. And it's a, a series of like almost games that you play where um, you learn more about one another and like understand like, you know, someone's deeper self that they might not be able to share on a daily basis in the collective. And this is one example of like the many, many tools that that I find to um, to really help make like reduce conflict, reduce unnecessary conflict or ego-based conflict, right? Ego-based, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Um, wow, this sounds fascinating, and I cannot wait to hear, um, hear what you're going to do at Habitable. Um, what, what are, uh, how, did, given what you do, you do so much, but um, how would you define what a success story with your work, um, either in the past or present with your teaching, with your art, like what makes you feel like you have accomplished something that you've set out to do? How would you define success? Or how have you in the past, like different people inspired by your work or people learning things that they incorporate into their daily life. Like mm -hmm. how, how, what is success in your world? Mm -hmm. um, what makes I, you feel good? Like, do you sense of like accomplishment? Mm -hmm. Sorry, I keep interrupting, but I'm no, no, it's okay. Um, I think it's funny because that's a really hard question for me. Um, and I think I, I'm really glad that you brought it up because it's something that I'm trying to define for myself. Um, and I think, but yeah, I think like in terms of moments when I felt really sense of accomplishment. So like the Utopia School, um, part of the intention of the school is to bring together uh, people who may not know each other, who are very active in um, in like providing for their community or um, engaging in, in like a resource sharing kind of way. And mm -hmm. so what when I feel like um, that the Utopia School has been successful is when I see people meet at the school and then like I see them start a project or they're like years later like still collaborating or yeah. uh, maybe something that we talked about stays behind in the place that hosted us. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So um, at one space where um, the school took place, that space wound up making a safer spaces uh, protocol, right? As mm -hmm. part of, it came about through the school and then it stayed with, with the host space. So, hmm. um, yeah. yeah. So kind of, um, creating, um, uh, relationships sounds like a really big, uh, um, part of what you do then, huh? Friendships, relationships, skillshare, stuff like that. I hope so. It's experimental. So I think, cool. Um, yeah, I think uh, like taking a risk 
is important to me, like um, taking a, a risk towards um, uh, making unusual connections yeah. between ideas and between people. Fabulous. I love it. Well, um, yay, I can't wait to hear what you're going to be doing with Habitable now that we're out, uh, you know, we're all crawling out of our COVID holes. Um, I think this year's fall harvest should be um, really successful and I can't wait to hear what you guys are doing together. Um, thank you so much for your time, Jamie. I know it's really valuable. How can people access your work or where can they see you or where to look for you? Um, yeah. It's Jamie Eigelhart, we should say, right? It's, yeah. Uh, Jamie Eigelhart at uh, jamieigelhart.com. Okay. My last name can be kind of tricky to spell. But if you search Jamie Idea, or um, then my website will come up. Yeah, with the word utopia, I know it's good to include. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm forever wedded to that term now. Uh, I <laughs> so love funny. it. Yeah, it's a great term to be wedded to. It's amazing. It's an interesting, All right. it's a complex one, yeah. So Jamie Idea uh, Eigelhart. Um, very excited um, to be in touch with you again. I can't wait to see where your work goes. You're just so all over the place. I can't wait to talk further about all these different places that you've gone because it just sounds fascinating, especially the Ukraine thing, because it's very much in the news. I'm learning a lot about those people just by following what's going on there right now. So that's exciting. Yeah, people, if people are interested in learning more, you should check out um, the collective Tumblr. That's T-U-M-B-L-E-R. They're on Instagram. They're doing really amazing work with recycling plastics. They're doing comic book art. They're doing socially engaged work. They're based in, in Ukraine in uh, Donbass. Oh, cool. oh so wow. Recycling plastics. I love oh, that. Oh, yeah. Excellent. No, they're amazing. So check out their work, T-U-M-B-L-E-R uh, on Instagram and follow them. Instagram. They're really, oh, yay. Thank really you for that. Prolific. Too. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, thank you, Jamie. I go thank hard. You, and you will be, um, we'll have a, an episode page pasted, um, posted at trippingwoodtrip.com with all of your links and a little bit of a bio, stuff like that. Um, and I appreciate your time. And hopefully we will see you soon here in Texas. Thanks so much for having right. me. And I look forward to seeing you in the fall. And thanks for helping me out with my new audio video stuff. <laughs> You're my first one. Yay. A multimedia artist. It's perfect. I'm so uh, honored to have been asked to join you. So thank yes. you. Yes. Thanks, Jamie. Bye. All right. Bye, y'all. Let's see if I can turn this off properly. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Thanks, Jamie. Tripping down here without reservations, without knowing his destination. But now he's here, but not quite clear Just what he will do Some friends from Habitable Spaces Said come on over to one of our places So we jumped right into Life on the farm Hey, don't you fly too high Everybody's gotta have some time to cry Your place in the sky